Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to visit primed.com slash podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Monica, 25 years old, is here for her asthma follow-up. After reviewing her history and medication use, you determine that she has moderate persistent asthma that's not well controlled. You discuss triggers, pre-treating before exercise, and despite that, still need to increase her inhaled corticosteroid dose. Monica shares with you that she feels anxious about her symptoms and the unpredictability of her wheezing and shortness of breath. I feel like my anxiety may be making my asthma worse. Or could it be the other way around? Should I be doing something about this? What's your advice for Monica today? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Dr. Susan Feeney, Assistant Professor and Director of the Nurse Practitioner Track at the Tan Ching-Fen Graduate School of Nursing at the UMass Chan Medical School. How are you doing, Susan? I'm doing great. Glad to talk uh, to you this morning. Great to talk with you as well. Uh, Monica's a pretty common patient in our world. There's yeah. some combination of things going on. So is there a correlation between her asthma and other mental health conditions, especially anxiety? There is. Uh, we have a lot of evidence that people who have chronic diseases, whether it's diabetes, asthma, COPD, heart disease, that there is a, an associated burden of anxiety and depression. Um, and the, especially with someone who has asthma, where there is breathlessness, <clears throat> that is anxiety provoking, right? As is chest pain. We know that those things are physiologic triggers. And so we also know that people who have asthma can have a trigger of emotions as they're, make the, the asthma worse, right? Laughing, crying, um, and, and tightness in the airway can be triggered by emotion. And I mean, this is not a trivial issue. There's three, 340 million people worldwide and 25 million in the US. So se almost 8% of the population has been diagnosed with asthma. And you know that that's probably an underreporting. We see a burden in our, with our, um, with under uh, served folks and also uh, so low socioeconomic, we see uh, higher uh, rates of diagnosis. We see also higher rates in black Americans. 11% of black Americans have a diagnosis of, of asthma. And, and what's so confounding about asthma is we really have great evidence on our pharmacotherapeutics. It's, they're, very, they're very good, you know, but our outcomes are suboptimal. And so it's just a very complex picture, and a lot of it is a, it's a complex treatment regime. Um, it varies per person, and it can have seasonal variation and diurnal variation, so it makes it challenging. But certainly what, what is interesting is this psychological component, because that is something that people may be able to have, be able to either impact or control themselves. So um, it, there's a very high correlation, and as I said, Lots of great evidence, too, on mindfulness, meditation, uh, relaxation, breathing, and with a, a positive impact on reduction of severity of symptoms as well. So 
it's really a great example of we have this wonderful ability to treat this condition and we're at best suboptimal in managing it because we don't do a great job or don't know how to use tools to help people deal with the personal lifestyle or whatever components of that illness. So um, you mentioned some mindfulness opportunities. Um, recent publication describing how to integrate mindfulness in the management of asthma. Can you tell me about it? Sure. This is a, a study out of England. Um, and what was really uh, fascinating to me is they really looked at the feasibility. It was a feasibility study. It was a, a randomized controlled feasibility study perspective that looked at, you know, how feasible is this going to be for people who have asthma to use a specifically a mindfulness app on their on their phone. Um, and they recruited out of 4,000 people, they recruited about 116 folks from primary, 16 primary care uh, settings in, um, in England. The majority of them were, were white. Um, and then they randomized them into two groups, um, a two to one ratio. So they had 73 in the intervention group. And, and those are people who had f absolute free access to a, mind, a mindfulness app. Um, and that they, it's a one that they, you have to pay for, but the study paid for that for them for six months. And then the, uh, smaller group, the control group was 43 people and they had quote unquote usual care. And they, they did a lot of surveys. So they looked, the primary outcomes were really asthma related quality of life issues, as well as, uh, perception of their symptoms and secondary, um, outcomes um, were uh, medication compliance and, um, you know, so it was really looking really primarily at what, what type of impact did this, um, using this app, how did it affect their quality of life? And, and it was interesting because what they found was it, some people didn't open it at all, but 70% of folks did use it. And if they used it at all, there was an impact. So they, they were measuring how many times they actually interacted with the app. And sometimes it was, you know, once or twice a week. And some, some folks it was daily. But any sort of interaction with this app, which has meditation and things like that, there was a re, an improvement in their um, perception of their symptoms, um, that they were better, and that they also, their quality of life related to asthma improved. Now they checked at six weeks and three months. The the didn't they saw they still saw improvement at three months, but they didn't see a that same sustained level of of quality of life regarding their asthma symptoms. However, along the way, they were also measuring anxiety and depression scales. And one of the uh, inclusion criteria is they could not have had a previous diagnosis of anxiety and depression. So these are folks who were being monitored for something, you know, for these symptoms, and they all had sustained in, uh, improvement in anxiety and depression symptoms at three months. So um, it it really seems like a, a you know, it's, it's just one more piece of evidence that these mindfulness activities can really help people um, at, 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 that this is part of their treatment along with their pharm pharmacos, you know, pharmacotherapeutics to help them feel better and have better outcomes. I think we often just focus on patient education, and sometimes we do it in a fairly dogmatic way uh, about how to use your inhaler and how to use a spacer and so forth. And, and the reality of the matter is sometimes we, we miss the bigger picture. And it certainly sounds like um, in this study, use of the app, had a small impact on 
uh, asthma and an even bigger impact on their overall quality of life. Um, Absolutely. Can, can you tell me how we might go about using these apps in our patient management, in particular for Monica? Yeah. So um, there's a there are many of these, and most of them have a cost, or they have a free they they may have a free option, and then if you want to expand and use all the the parts of it, you have to pay. But um, if if some you'd have to have somebody who's comfortable, you know, most people have a phone, most people have access to apps, but is it something that they would use? Um, and I think it would it would take some time spending some time with them explaining the difference, explaining what you get between you know a, something that has a, a price and something that is free. Um, but UCLA Mindful actually comes right out of UCLA and it's free and I. I think they may use some of the data for research, but um, there there are some really nice apps that are free that um, might help people, even if it's five minutes a day, just doing some slow breathing, mindfulness activities, and then to also tell them that this can be used if they're feeling asthma symptoms. You know, if they start to feel some chest tightness or some wheezing, they're going to go for their short-acting beta agonist, but they could also do some of this activity um, afterwards or if they're starting to feel these symptoms come on as an adjunct. And I think that's really important is that empowerment of them, that this isn't just tied to their phone and their app, that they can use this and that being mindful of these activities do seem to help. You know, several years ago, the, um, the asthma guidelines incorporated the self-assessment, right? They have to, we, people are supposed to be assessing their perception of their symptoms, and I think this is one area that we really fall down on in primary care is we're not assessing that, and that really is important because you get so much information out of that, and it's it's integral to determining control. And if you were to tie that in when you did your asthma assessments to also what kinds of things do you do to help yourself cope with asthma and symptoms, you could you could bring this kind of information into the conversation. Uh, Susan, this is a really interesting study opening up a huge area of clinical intervention. We will add to the landing page a number of resources that were mentioned here that you can share with your patients. We have them use an inhaled corticosteroid twice a day. Five minutes of, of, of meditative breathing can probably have a huge impact, if on nothing else, improving the patient's sense of self and quality of life. Thanks so much for discussing this today. My pleasure. Practice pointer. Consider mindfulness activities as an adjunct to medication for your patients with asthma to improve their asthma and their overall quality of life. Join us next time when the podcast team discusses their favorite podcast of 2021. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcasts and see you next week.